All right, turn, turn to somebody and inspire a little faith in them. Let's say, look them, look them in the eye. And then convincingly, convincingly say to the people next to you, your best times are ahead of you. <laughs> Headed to glory. You believe it? Kind of tough to maintain that attitude in life. So, uh, so let me ask you a warm-up question. This one is kind of challenging. It's very open-ended, but it really gets your, get your brain muscle uh, flexing. Very open, very open and answer it however you feel led to answer it. So what made you give in? What made you give in? That's all you get. You have to think about it for eight seconds and come up with something brilliant. So what made you give in? I didn't hear that. Accident? <laughs> you gave in by accident. I like that. Samuel, what you got? Feeling like I couldn't win. Feeling like you couldn't win. All right. General, but a feeling I think we can all kind of relate to. Yeah. Yeah. Who else has good? Hopelessness. Hopelessness. Quite related. Hopelessness. Yeah. What else? Not seeing progress. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're trying, but too much time is passing. You know what I mean? These are good. Lauren. What was it? All the whining from your kids. And definitely not the whining from your husband. No. That's easy. What you got? Not wanting to stand out. Okay, that's interesting. That's a different one. Not wanting to stand out because maybe there'd be some risks involved in that. You guys have good answers. I thought this would be a tough one, but it's not. All right, one more. Who's got a good one? Exhaustion. Exhaustion. You did the best you, took, you could walking up the hill, but eventually your legs your leg just gave out. I told you you should have parked above. Um. The reason I like that question, so man, what made you give in? The best times are ahead of you, so what made you give in um, is because it, it, it presumes that there's going to be struggle, right? Uh, and it presumes that something is, is trying to make you give in. And it's just worth thinking about exactly how we give in, what makes us give in, what strategies come against us. Uh, we're in this sermon series on the book of Exodus, which, as everybody knows, is the story... <laughs> of the Israelites coming out of slavery in Egypt and you know, crossing the wilderness in, in epic style and eventually getting to the point where they, they enter uh, the promised land. It's about uh, a people going from bondage, slavery, to promise, freedom. What it really is about is the way God turns uh, a slave-minded person into a free individual. That's what it's really about. And as we have said all along in the sermon series, it's actually relatively easy to get someone out of slavery. It's relatively hard to get slavery out of someone, right? It's hard to get the slave mindset out of people or the slave spirit out of people. Um, and so that's really what the book is about uh, if you read it. But of course, the stories are epic and glorious and inspiring. Uh, we uh, started the Exodus series a, a, a couple of weeks ago um, in the book of Hebrews, actually. Uh, we talked about 
how it is required in the spiritual journey to go beast mode every once in a while. And, and the generation that came out of slavery in Egypt actually didn't get to enter the promised land because at the final moment, they weren't able to go beast mode. They got scared of giants in the land. They decided to go passive instead of aggressive. Uh, and so I call that like, you know, going beast mode. You have to be able to just go beast mode every once in a while in life. Beast mode versus slave mode. And there will come times in your life where that's the choice. Beast mode or slavery. Beast mode, er, or slavery. Er, everybody say er. Proper churches say amen, hallelujah. Nah, we don't. And then last week, uh, we, uh, we sort of jumped into the story of Exodus as it, it had already uh, started developing. Uh, Moses and his brother Aaron are going to Pharaoh, who has the Israelites in slavery, and saying, let my people go. We want to go take a worship retreat in the wilderness. That's actually the ask. They're not asking for total uh, freedom at this point. They're just asking for a week off so they can go worship God out in the countryside. And, uh, slave, and Pharaoh... Pharaoh says, no, I don't trust you. You're just trying to escape. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to make your life harder. I'm going to take away your straw ration because the Israelites were professional brick makers. They needed straw and clay together to make their bricks. I'm going to make your life doubly difficult. And we talked about why God would allow hardship to be the first step toward freedom. You know, you make a decision to make progress with God, and the first thing that happens in your life is that it gets twice as difficult as ever. What's up with that? Very common experience. And the reason behind it, oftentimes, is that God has an interest in clarifying for you just how enslaved you are. Because if the Israelites were comfortable in their slavery when the story started, once Pharaoh went off on his angry bender, they were no longer comfortable with their slavery. So there's sort of a negative motive uh, in this. You have to expect pushback. Uh, otherwise, the temptation is for us to live in the gray area. Yeah, you know, we're not free. We know we're not free. We know we're in bondage to this or that, but you know what? We can kind of get by with that okay. You know, we're not totally walking in delight. We're not totally walking in freedom. But, you know, it's not like we're in total darkness either. We're in the gray. And that's the first lie you have to beat on your path to freedom. Don't settle for the gray. Don't settle for the gray. Uh, and... Uh, when things do get tough, when God is provoking you toward total freedom rather than comfortable slavery, are you going to get mad at God or are you going to get mad at Pharaoh? And that's a choice uh, that uh, the Israelites have, and that's a choice that we have when things get hard in life. Who do we get mad at? Do we get mad at the world or do we get mad at God? A lot of us get mad at God, so there's a temptation. We pick up the story this week in Exodus uh, well, I'm going to read a verse from chapter 6, and then we'll skip ahead to, to chapter 8. So what's going on here is that Pharaoh has made the life of the Israelites doubly difficult, reduced their straw ration, but Moses and Aaron say to the Israelites, hey, don't worry, this is just the first step on your road to freedom. Let me reiterate that God has a promised land for you, 
a promised life for you. A bigger, better versions of, version of yourself lies ahead. Your best times are ahead of you. Don't sweat it. That's what Moses says. Uh, and then we read in, uh, <laughs> in, in chapter 6. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement, whatever that is, and cruel bondage, because of their exhaustion, because of their hopelessness, because of their whiny kids, because of whatever, right? They feel like they can't get ahead. They're not making any progress on this promise that has been given them by these uh, strange prophets, Moses and Aaron. God has promised them a great testimony. He said, this is going to be dramatic. Pharaoh is going to push back against you, but that's going to make the story all the greater for future generations. He's literally said that to them. Um, and then Pharaoh changes his strategy just slightly. Uh, and instead of just trying to wither them with difficulty, he offers them some Reasonable compromises. So today we're going to talk about the danger of reasonable compromises. Have you ever known anyone who's been wiped out by a reasonable compromise in life? Um, sort of a funny way uh, to put it. I was thinking this week about uh, a friend that Sonia and I had, uh, not in our current uh, Ohana group that we lead, not in our current small group, but uh, one from the past. We'll call him uh, Bob, and he was an amazing individual. Uh, when uh, he came to us, he was just coming to Christ. But that was a process of associated revolutions in his life. He was coming to the Lord. He was revitalizing spiritually, but he had overcome a ton in life. He had been born into a tough situation, kind of grew up in an abusive situation. Uh, he had ballooned up to over 400 pounds, and by the time we met him, he had lost 200 of those. You know, uh, he uh, like barely graduated high school, didn't get a college degree, uh, but had worked his way out of menial labor and was working for a computer company, had basically taught himself how to code, how to write code, how to program. Um, and uh, he was just, just really firing on all cylinders. And then during the course of his time with us, uh, his company, as happened often in tech companies, they reorged, and the computer skill that he had, the language in which he programmed, was becoming obsolete. Happens, like, what, every three years or something uh, these days. Uh, a little bit slower back then. But he was freaked out, and so he quit everything in order to double down on his job, started working overtime and on taking training classes on his coding. And my talking point with him is like, you can't give up on everything just because you're scared of being unemployed. Um, they're asking unreasonable time of you. He was working like 95 hours a week or something like that. His job, uh, you know, you're just being dominated by this fear. God doesn't want that uh, for you. He became angry with me, stopped coming to church. Um, got sick, and just kind of unraveled, eventually got involved uh, with, um, let's just say, an inappropriate woman. Um, not a believer, uh, but he needed some comfort in his life because things had gotten so difficult for him that he reached out for that. 
And it's just one of these iconic stories for me, one of these iconic relationships, because here's a guy who had gotten so close to freedom. He had overcome so much in his wilderness, and he was right up against the boundary to the promised land, right up against the Jordan River. And then, like, this Jordan ruined it for him by saying, like, now just the final push to freedom. Now just the final, and he caved because of a reasonable compromise. Look, how can you expect me to give up on my career? That's reasonable. Am I right? That's reasonable. Completely destroyed him. Uh, never recovered. Um, the, uh, oh, I've had a, well, that's enough illustration. In my own life, I think back on the arc of my story, and I was a hard-driving individual um, in some ways, also coming out of a tough situation. There were different things that I was trying to succeed in life, different career paths that I was on. And to be honest with you, I think I probably would have accepted reasonable compromises along the way in order to get success in my chosen paths, like my chosen professional paths. But every time uh, I was willing to make a reasonable compromise in order to get success in my chosen career path, God just destroyed it. <laughs> he, just, he just visited me with injustices that would make a, a mere mortal cringe. Disaster uh, struck. And I can look back on it now and with at least 85% faith say, well, that was the Lord. <laughs> you know, that was okay. What he was doing is sort of delivering me from reasonable compromises and directing me toward a life of greater promise and fruitfulness. But he did it by visiting me with crises. And that's kind of what uh, the story is about. That's kind of what God did in, uh, in the book of Exodus. So let's read our scriptures um, for today. We'll start uh, in, in uh, chapter 8, but uh, this particular uh, chunk of the story extends uh, through uh, chapter 10 and verse 11 and 12, uh, chapters 11 and 12 actually. But uh, beginning in, uh, in chapter 7, chapter 8, we get the story of the 10 plagues. And everybody knows this story, right? Uh, brownie points in heaven for anyone who can rattle off all 10. Go. Yeah, you're probably not going to heaven. Yeah. In a little while, in, in about 10 chapters, we get to, we get to the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to quiz you in church. I'm going to quiz you in church. Memorize all 10 right now. You got 10 fingers, one commandment for each finger. All right, I didn't mean to distract you. Back to the sermon. So uh, Moses goes back to Pharaoh, and he says essentially, look, you've doubled our workload, you've cut the straw rations, but still, we... We need to obey God. We need to go out into the wilderness for a week and do a worship retreat. Uh, and Pharaoh says, no. And so Moses says, well, then God is going to visit you with some plagues. Uh, and, and so he begins, and they get progressively worse. It sort of pollutes the Nile for a while. You get frogs. You get flies. And, uh, and just gets worse and worse and worse all the way up to, well, eventually all the firstborn in Egypt uh, die. Uh, and Pharaoh is a little bit rattled. 
apparently. He's like, well, this isn't fun at all. This has become a harder deal than I thought it was. Uh, and so we pick up the story at, uh, in chapter 8, verse 24. Uh, the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. And throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by the flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, all right, go sacrifice to God here in this land. So what he's saying is, okay, you can take a week off. You can do your worship retreat, but you can't go into the countryside. You can't go out where I can't see you. Just stay locally. Don't take a vacation. Take a staycation, <laughs> which is a very reasonable compromise, is it not? Look, you know, I'll, I'll put you up locally at the Hilton. Uh, you're going to love it. You know, tourists love it. People go there from all over the world. Why isn't this bad? Uh, why is this bad for you? Go sacrifice to your God here in, in the land. Just a little tweak. But Moses said, that would not be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord our God would be detestable to, to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? Uh, I don't know what the answer to that question is. We must take a three-day journey into the, desert, into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. Moses answered, uh, as soon as I leave you, I'll pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only be sure that Pharaoh does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and indeed, the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained. But this time, also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. So he makes this staycation compromise. Then he says, all right, all right, you can go into the wilderness. Just, just be back on time. And Moses said, all right, I will take that. Uh, and uh, Moses prays. The flies lifted. But as soon as the pressure was off Pharaoh, he reneges on the deal. He cancels uh, the contract. So this continues for a while. We pick up the story in chapter 10. Uh, uh, verse 9 uh, through 11, there, there's this plague of locusts, you know, ruining the crops and stuff like that. And, uh, and they go visit Pharaoh, and, and uh, who's upset about the locusts, and Pharaoh says, all right, go, go, go worship the Lord your God. Uh, but just who will be going? Moses answered, we will go with our young and old, with our sons and daughters, and with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. It's a, everybody gets to party. Pharaoh said, the Lord be with you if I let you go along with your women and children. Clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you have been asking for. It's not what he's been asking for, but it's like, I thought you just meant the men. You can imagine how that conversation went. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. So this time, there's another reasonable compromise. It's like, look, you can go, 
but you know, leave your families behind, because if you leave your families behind, I know you all come back, right? And you won't try to wriggle out of your enslavement. And why, were you, I thought you were just talking about the men. I thought, like, that was our understanding. And given that that was our understanding here in this office, right, then you should be willing to honor that. You know, it's a tried and true negotiating practice. So that didn't go well. So Moses, you know, raises a staff and an east wind blows and more locusts came and it just got nasty uh, again. And then there's this plague of darkness that comes all of the land of Egypt, that sort of like proper metro Egypt uh, goes into darkness and eclipse, whereas the land in which the Israelites live, uh, there's sunlight and light. So uh, Pharaoh's starting to get the idea that maybe God is involved here and favors the Israelites in this battle. Uh, picking it up uh, in uh, chapter 10, verse 22. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. Last ditch effort, right? All right. All the people can go, but you got to leave behind your wealth, right? You need to make a deposit. Like, sure, you know, I'll rent you the car, but you need to leave uh, a deposit. Uh, so if anything goes wrong, I get, I get my money out of it. But Moses said, you must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock, too, must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. It does sound a little bit like an excuse. Uh, but uh, it does sound a little bit like Moses is angling for a jailbreak. Um, but uh, at least that's how Pharaoh uh, reads it. Uh, I suppose he could have just taken Moses at his word and the plagues uh, would have lifted. Anyway, just to say it, guys, this is how the enemy works in life. It is never Satan's strategy to like totally control your life. It is only ever Satan's strategy to sufficiently control your life. If he controls enough of your life, then he controls all of your life. Right? You don't have to control all of the car. You just need to control the steering wheel, don't you? Right? You don't need to control all of the ship, just the little rudder on the back. And you can make it go wherever you want. So the only thing Satan wants from you is control over something that can determine your life direction when he desires. That's the strategy. That's always the strategy. He does not want you to be an immoral person. Satan does not want you to be an immoral person. He just wants you to be selectively moral. That's all. He wants you to be mostly good. Mostly good. And just a little bit immoral. You know, just a little compromise over here. That way... You're comfortable in the gray. That way you can say to yourself, 
hey, you know, I'm basically all right. It's okay. I'm doing well. I mean, I'm, I'm pushing ahead with this God thing until you push just a little too far. And then it's like, tweak. He just wants to control you uh, sufficiently. And that makes you feel good. Makes you feel good while he controls you. So it's a total con game. Total con game. And, and that's that Satan more than anything. Jesus calls him father of lies. Like, basically, you're just a deceiver. You're a con artist, right? The best lie is always mostly true and just a little bit false. Otherwise, we wouldn't swallow it. Satan is always giving you compromises that you can swallow with a mostly good conscience. Mostly good. That's always this strategy. Um, should they compromise here? Well, God thinks they shouldn't. God keeps telling them, hey, hang in there, and you're going to get a great story out of it. But the thing is, they continue to live in a crisis situation. You know, there's flies everywhere. The Nile River, which they depend on, just like the Egyptians, it gets polluted. You know, it gets turned to blood for a while. Um, and only like when the light play come, the darkness place comes to, to the Israelites kind of get a break from it, but they're surrounded by people that are mad at them all the time, right? You can imagine what the Egyptian slave masters were saying to the Israelites. You're messing up our lives. Why can't you just play nice? There's all this peer pressure, all this, uh, this negative political pressure coming on them. How dare you be arrogant? We had a fine thing going. Uh, and you just had to turn the tables. Um, they're living in crises, and it seems like they're not making progress, and things just get worse and worse and worse in subsequent weeks. You know? And so a reasonable compromise probably feels really reasonable. You can imagine any number of Israelites going to Moses and saying, we'll do a staycation. I mean, I haven't had a week off in a decade. And I've been working double time for eight weeks since they cut our straw ration. I could really use a staycation. Why is that bad? Why can't God work with that? Totally reasonable. Totally reasonable. And maybe there's something like that in your life as well. It's like, look, you're doing mostly okay. And it's just, you know, it's just, you got to work hard over here for a while. Like, you got to sacrifice some things for a while. Like, you got to, you know, not do so much church stuff for a while. You know, you got well, a little comfort over here isn't a bad thing. I mean, you're not comfortable telling anybody what you're doing, but surely it'll be okay. Lots of Christians do worse things. You know, you get the idea, right? Um, what's the biggest challenge? Is, Biggest challenge the Israelites face in this story. And I think the biggest challenge they face is that they've, they've never had a promised land before. It's like, well, the best times are ahead of you. You know, God has a glorious future for you, but you've never experienced that future, have you? Let's just take the obvious example. None of us have ever been to heaven, right? I mean, what's it like? I mean, is it really there? I mean, it's not like, it's not like we can Google map it. Um, we take it on faith that the plan God has for us is good. 
but you can't trust your experience. You just have to trust God. You can't trust your experience. You just have to trust God, because he's taken you someplace you've never been before. And isn't that the problem with life? Isn't that the whole problem with Christian life, that you can't trust your experience? You just have to trust God. I mean, he gives you some cool experiences. I mean, a plague of darkness. And that's cool. That's cool. But does it really show you what's in store for you? You know? You've been to the Hilton. It is nice there. They got the pool and stuff. But you haven't been to where God is taking you. All right, so what's the strategy? Um, How do... We imagine life outside of Egypt in such a way that we can keep going. How do we trust God uh, even in the midst of crises? How do we know that we're not making compromises that, uh, that we shouldn't? Um, how do we know that we're not giving in inappropriately? How do we know that, uh, that we're not uh, caving in? Um, when accepting a good thing in our life? Um, How do we know that the good job on offer to you isn't just a temptation for more money? You know, maybe it's a blessing from the Lord after all, right? Have you ever been in that sort of situation? I mean, sure, this thing means that I have to leave church for a while, but how do I know that's not the way to build a foundation for my future, right? That's, that's the difficulty. So here are some tips of making sure that uh, you're not giving in and you can keep your eye on your uncertain, no, your unknown future with the Lord because that's what it is, right? It's certain but unknown. Two questions I ask myself uh, when uh, I suspect that I might be leaving the proper path to freedom. Uh, The first thing I always ask myself is, what am I afraid of? What are you afraid of? And the second question is, what do I feel guilty about? Am I doing this uh, because I'm afraid of something? Do I feel guilty about doing this? Two really simple diagnostic questions uh, that I submit to you for your usage in, in life. Because you should do nothing out of fear and you should do nothing in guilt. You should do nothing ever out of fear and you should do nothing in guilt. You're only allowed to fear one thing in the universe, God, and he loves you. Uh, So if you're afraid of anything else, you can check in with God and he will give you direction. If you're feeling guilty about something that you're doing, ask God if you should feel guilty. He will be more than happy to tell you. Or you can pray about it with your Christian brothers and sisters, and they will be happy to tell you what the Lord says. My experience is that if I feel guilty about doing something, just the 
act of asking people to pray for God's direction for me clarifies whether it's sinful or not. Because if you keep it in the dark, then you can pretend that maybe you're just fabricating guilt and you shouldn't. But if you bring it in front of other people in the light, you will almost always immediately know if you're being stupid. (laughs) Amen? Um, And uh, that's basically what was going on here. Uh, Moses and Aaron were saying to the people, don't accept the compromise. That would be stupid. Don't be discouraged. Don't be exhausted. Don't be hopeless. Um, uh, Your best times are ahead of you. So there you go. There's one tip. Uh, And here's another tip. Uh, Ask yourself if the choice, the compromise that you're thinking about making, the choice that you're thinking about making uh, compromises your testimony. Um, what would make the best story? Because God tells the Israelites that what he's doing, bringing them into a promised land, is going to be an epic story that will be shared around the world for generations and generations. He was actually right, by the way. Uh, They made a cartoon. Um, So consider your testimony. If I do this thing, does my testimony get worse or better? Now, that's not an ironclad life tip but it sure helps me. If I do this thing, am I broadcasting to my audience, should I have one, uh, that God is great and trustworthy, or am I broadcasting to my audience that life should be lived in a reasonable gray? Because your job, brothers and sisters, is to be a testimony unto the glory of the Lord. And his job is to give you testimonies worth sharing. That's the path of freedom. That's how it works. And so ask yourself, uh, is this story cool enough? Or is it just rational enough? Is it just reasonable enough? Is it justifiable enough? If you find yourself asking yourself, is this justifiable? Then you're probably off target. If you're asking yourself, does this glorify the Lord? You're probably on target. Again, this is not ironclad. This is just uh, uh, rules for the road. Here are classics uh, of temptations to watch out for, compromises to work, uh, watch out for. Satan is going to uh, try to get you to compromise in three areas, money, sex, and power. Uh, He's going to try to get you to be afraid of money or to be greedy after money. I don't think most of you aren't greedy, uh, but some of us are afraid. We have money anxieties. uh, So that's something to watch out for. Sex. Um, So, you know, you're probably uh, not living a super licentious lifestyle, but there'll be ways that we sort of sexually compromise. Porn is the obvious one. Uh, Another one is like sexually related. It's romance. Um, in, in my experience of being a Christian leader, which is going on like 35 or 40 years now, romance is the number one killer of disciples, right? Which always surprises, surprises me. But uh, in instances in which I see people uh, suffer soul death, almost all of them include the phrase, well, we're not really dating. And then you die. Uh, your soul dies, because romance gets a grip on you. Oh, you sound shocked when I say that. 
that one cut close. Um, it's because it just seems so reasonable. And romance has such a gravity to it that it gets a hold of people so easily. Because what's wrong with a romance? And it's not like we're having sex, which for some reason is the line. <laughs> it's not the line. The line is, are you on the right path or not? Yeah. So something to keep in mind. And then power. Uh, most of you are not wielding great power and influence in the world, but your brand of power is reputational. It has to do with peer pressure. Do people think well of you or not? It's what the Bible sometimes calls fear of man. Fear of standing out uh, was something that caused you uh, to give in. You're afraid of what people think of you, and that's basically a power game because if they think well of you, you're safe or you're influential. Power. Right? So you think in terms of reputation, you know, are you being carried along by the crowd? Do all of your friends believe exactly the same things and you're afraid of believing anything different? You know, do you find yourself going with the flow a lot? Money, sex, and power, uh, those are just good uh, indicator, indicators. You can watch for compromises uh, in those areas. You can watch in those areas for life uh, in the gray. And I'm really, really, really proud of the people at Blue Water Mission who stay strong uh, in those areas. Um, and I see a lot of it around here. A lot of people here are just taking the extra burden, doing without the ration of straw if they have to, in order to not compromise uh, in those areas. You know, uh, trusting the Lord uh, to provide, trusting the Lord to provide materially, trusting the Lord to provide relationally, trusting the Lord to provide reputationally. Make you an, to an actual individual. Walking the way the Lord has prepared for you. The actual individual, the rarest of all of the Lord's cre uh, creatures. So uh, the goal should be, and we'll end with this, the goal should be you being able to say, I trusted God, I shouldered the extra burdens required, and I got a great story out of it. That's the kind of life that you want to have. And if you're having that kind of life, then you're probably, you've probably got the best times ahead of you, man. Right? You're probably crossing into promise. You're probably leaving the slave mindset, not just slavery, but the slave mindset. You're not just improving your life but you're changing on the inside and you can feel the difference, right? You can feel the difference. And a lot of us have sort of crossed into that internal difference, whether through sozo or just discipleship or just walking with the Lord honestly and uncompromisingly for a while. You start to think, I might be able to do this. I, I, I might be able to make it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a different sort of person than I was, you know, and that's a great indicator that your best times are ahead of you. So Father God, I pray um, that as you visit plagues upon Egypt, as you uh, visit crises on the world, as critical situations affect our lives, that we would nonetheless walk in freedom, uh, that we nonetheless would be 
fearless and content and hopeful. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would point out places in our lives uh, where we are tempted to make reasonable compromises. And those are always, at first glance, gray situations. Let the Lord speak to you about it. Let the Lord speak to you. Be honest in your listening. Speak, Lord. We're listening.